Moms Unscripted is a production of Mops International. If you'd like to find a group near you, go to mops.org forward slash group search. If you'd like to start a group, go to mops.org forward slash start a group. Hey friends, today we have a treat for you. I guess that so many of you already know and have been asking for. To get us started, I'm going to read some of her words because I love the way she speaks right to the heart of so many women and mothers. This is what she says. The chorus of shoulds is loud. You should enjoy the moment, dream big, have it all, and get up before the sun, track your water consumption, go on dates, and be the best. Or maybe you should ignore what people think, live on dry shampoo, be a negligent PTA mom, have a dirty house, and claim your hot mess like a badge of honor. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by the mixed messages of what it means to live well. I want to invite you to live well by your own definition and equip you to be a genius about what matters and lazy about what doesn't. Everything from your morning routine to napping without guilt. Discover a better way to approach your relationships, work, and pals of mail. Be who you are without the complication of everyone else's shoulds. Do what matters, skip the rest, and thrive in your beautiful, normal life. Isn't that so good? Our guest today is Kendra Adachi, also known as the Lazy Genius, and we can't wait to ask her all of our burning questions. But first, let's meet Kendra. Kendra Adachi is a New York Times bestselling author of The Lazy Genius Way and creator of The Lazy Genius Podcast. As a systems expert and professional permission giver, Kendra helps others stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. She lives in North Carolina with her husband and three kids. Well, Kendra, we are so excited to talk with you. Welcome to the show. So my first question is, I'd love to talk about the idea of trying to figure out what matters most to each of us. And this is your constant battle cry, no matter how big or small the life thing is, encouraging us to stop and ask ourselves what matters most to us in the situation. And so first of all, why is this not intuitive? Like, why do we struggle to figure out what we value and what we want? I love that question so much because you're right. It feels like it should be like, we should know, oh, this is what matters. This is my priority, but it's so hard to, to get there. I think there are a couple of challenges that we're hit with. One is we're told by a lot of different voices, what should matter. And often those are conflicting. Um, like I, I, I feel like we're supposed to be, you know, of the earth and grow our own food. And we're supposed to, um, like make, you know, you're supposed to make all of your own things, like be a, be a homesteader on one end. And then also like, we're supposed to support farmers, but also grocery pickup is very efficient and you should use that too. And like do it, do a date night, but don't, uh, don't depend on doing a date night in order to make your marriage work. And you need to like be, there's just all these different things. There's so many messages Mm -hmm. coming in. And so we need a system to sift through them, but I don't think any of us have ever been taught that. I think we just have been taught by way of modeling poor modeling by pretty much everybody in our lives for the most part, that if we just like keep trying harder and if we keep collecting more hacks or mm, whatever, mm, then mm-hmm. we'll get, we'll just survive and it'll be fine. When really we have to let go of a lot of things. We have to go like, no, 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 this does not matter. And so the, you're right. It should be intuitive, but, uh, culturally we've just sort of been taught that we, we got to catch it all. We've just got to catch it all and figure it out. And whoever figures figures it out the best or looks like they're figuring it out the best are the people that we listen to. And then those are the people that burn out 
And, uh, <laughs> and then we're like, oh, no, now what? They were my model. What do mm-hmm. I do? Right. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough thing to be a person uh, in this culture, for <laughs> sure. In that in that arena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, so where do we start? Like we've got all these messages coming in and they're conflicting. Right. And I talk with so many women and they're like, I feel two things. One is I feel exhausted because I'm doing so much. And two, I feel like I'm not doing enough. And so it, this is like totally sums up your message and helping us kind of sort out what are the things that are most important to us and what do we care about and how do we want to prioritize? So what's the first step? Like, where do we start? I think that the first place to start is to name whether or not you are currently trying to be a genius about everything, or you have just decided to give up and be lazy about everything. Mm -hmm. Like find yourself kind of on that spectrum because, um, sort of naming where we are is really important in order to name where we want to go. Right. And so I use that language, that lazy genius language, because I feel like people see themselves pretty quickly in it. Um, that what I just described with like, okay, we're just going to do everything perfectly until we suffer from adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the genius side, right? We're going to do everything and we're going to do it well. But then once you hit that wall and you hit that end and you're like, oh, this is not working. We sort of think that our only option is just to not care about anything. And I think that that is very, very true in uh, the culture of being a mother that you, it's sort of like that messy hair, don't care vibe, which it's okay to have messy hair and to not care about it. Like that's great. But, but to think that that's your only other option, it's either you're together and perfect or you're falling apart and real. Mm. Like we sort of see that those are our two options and that's not the case. Um, I feel very strongly, very, very strongly that we have to stop conflating vulnerability with chaos. Yes. You can be a vulnerable, real person without your life being in chaos. Mm -hmm. You can Mm -hmm. have like Mm -hmm. a tidy house Mm -hmm. and still be a real accessible, relatable person. They don't cancel each other out. And Mm -hmm. in, in my conversations with moms and in my experience as a mom over the years, I've been a mom for 12 years, that that is such a real thing Mm -hmm. that we assume way too much about each other and way too much about ourselves based on how orderly or not we are. Mm -hmm. So I think that naming that is the first step. Am I trying to be a genius about everything or have I given up and act like I don't care, even though I care very deeply? I really do care, but I don't know how to hold that care about the things I care about uh, in in a context that feels like me, in a context that doesn't feel like I'm trying too hard. Mm. So I think that's where it starts. And then... um, (laughs) And then the good news is there's not just a genius way or a lazy way. There's a lazy genius way. Um, <laughs> how about that for a, a brilliant, transition? Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but the whole idea here is to give ourselves permission to be a genius, to care, to care deeply about the things that matter to us and then have the permission to let the other stuff go or to at least be lazy about it. Like, for example, an example that I use often in my own life is I am a lazy room mom. I'm really lazy when it comes to my kids and like interacting in their schools because 
um, and not lazy in like a flippant, I don't care way, not in a dismissive way, but in the, in the framework that I have been given as a mother, the framework that I've been given is I need to volunteer often in my kids' classrooms. I need to be the one who uh, takes care of the class party. I'm going to put together like goodie bags and, you know, like all of the different things. It's going to be like highly themed and very, you know, whatever. And for me, I'm like, I don't have time for that. That creativity drains me. And we need all kinds of parents in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so the way I am going to be care about my kids in their classroom and their teachers is whenever a list goes out of like, we need, we need supplies. I'll get the supplies. I will send money. Like I will, um, uh, my kids go to an expressive arts magnet school. And so they like learn how to play instruments and draw and all it's, it's very lovely. And, um, but, but there, it's also a title one school. And so there are not a lot of resources at all. And so whenever like the music teacher says, Hey, our kid needs, uh, every kid needs a recorder, needs to buy a recorder. But if you have extra and you can donate, if you can pay to donate a few recorders to our classroom, that would be great. I always do that. There's a lazy genius principle, decide once, you make a decision one time about one thing and you just keep doing it until it doesn't work anymore. That is a decide once for me. If my teachers ask for money or supplies, I give it because we have the resources. It doesn't require time of me, but I can still be mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. in something that matters. So anyway, so all that to say, there is this very interesting nuanced way that we can live in this like big, wide open gray space that is not all genius, that is not all lazy. It's very personal and we get to decide, okay, this thing does matter to me. How am I going to invest in that thing? Am I gonna, do I wanna put a lot of time into it? Do I wanna, do I wanna be a genius about bread and make bread like, uh, like make homemade bread? Or am I like, you know what? I like bread, but I'm just going to buy it at the store. It's fine. I'm going to be lazy about bread. Like that's <laughs> no problem. We all get to decide what matters to us. Well, and I would like to, even though I'm too cheap apparently to pay the $7 a month, I believe we are a pro Ted Lasso show. Uh, and, absolutely. <laughs> We're and for so, it. Yeah. Um, I have still not seen it. Cause like I said, I'm apparently too cheap, but I did there on social media. There was a, a highlight clip that someone had posted of it. And it was super interesting to me, basically to set the scene. He, I guess was challenged to throw, you know, to compete on a dartboard with somebody. And he goes into this story about how whenever he was kid, whenever he was a kid, he would get picked on and he would get picked on, uh, you know, Oh, he's too slow or he's not smart enough and all of this kind of stuff. And one of the things that he was drawing from that was, well, they had already decided who I was. And that's that's what they used to pick on me. They were deciding who I was gonna be, even though they didn't know me. And so then he brings it back to him throwing th- these darts and he throws the first dart and it's just an incredible throw. And he's like, very much just like those kids did, whenever you challenged me, you were not curious. If you had been curious, you would have known that I actually played darts every Sunday with my dad from ages 10 to 16. And then he threw another dart and it was like another perfect Mm. thing. He's like, because they chose to not be curious, they chose to not be successful. 
and what they were doing. And I really tied that into Kendra, what, what you were saying as far as this lazy genius idea. And I was curious, pun intended, I guess, um, <laughs> how important is it to stay curious in all of this with the way that you choose to live your life? I, I have never had my work connected to Ted Lasso so beautifully before. <laughs> I just need us to like take a minute for that. That was like, oh, that was so good. So, and I wrote down that sentence. They had already decided who I was. And the minute you said that, I thought, oh, we do that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We absolutely mm-hmm. do that for ourselves. Before you brought it around, it's like we have decided who we are. And, um, and usually that decision is based on what other people have told us we are. You know, it's based on what our parents have said. It's based on what other, um, you know, like teachers and just formative voices or even just like a random stranger at Target who said something hurtful to you. Like if you're, you know, (laughs) there have been many a time when my kids were little where I was out and uh, just trying to buy diapers or whatever. And they're all crying and, you know, they're just like having a having a situation and you get looks like I would get looks from other people who have not been parents for years and years and years and forget that their children probably did the same thing. And they would give me a look that says like, you need to get it together. You are not a good parent. Like this is not how a good parent manages their children or a good parent has compliant children or whatever. And you sort of, we assume we like pull in all these messages and then internalize them as truth about ourselves that I can go, I am not a good parent. I do not do behavior. I'm not good at behavior management. I am not good at this or that. And and then we sort of have like this lens of confirmation bias so that when someone else says something that might even be like remotely connected to that thing that we believe is true about ourselves, it's just more proof, mm-hmm. you know? And then we mm-hmm. just sort of stay in that place mm-hmm. of I'm not good at this. I don't like this. I'm, you know, and I, and then because often especially in the exhaustion of being a person and perhaps particularly being a parent, everything becomes generalized very quickly. And it just turns into like, I'm just not good at anything. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a good mom. Like that's sort of where it lands. It's like, I'm just not a good mom. And so you're absolutely right that we decide who we are, but in order to stay fluid in our growth as a person in the season of life that we're in, um, all kinds of, all kinds of things, big and small, we have to be curious. We have to keep asking what matters right now about this? What matters to me? Because even what matters to me about dinner yesterday won't matter today. It won't matter the same. Like, so there has to be room and that room If it's filled with curiosity, then we have this like positive posture towards ourselves of like, okay, yeah, what matters to me? I don't have to shame Mm -hmm. myself because I changed my mind from Mm -hmm. yesterday. That's Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. But if we fill that space with, with shame, then we're continuing to perpetuate this idea of who we think we are or who we're supposed to be or who other people have told us we're supposed to be. So I have actually, I'm just so glad you said that because I have never fully connected the, the concept of curiosity with this before, with this um, movement into naming what matters, into this practice of naming what matters. And I think that's just such a good accessible Mm -hmm. word for people is to stay curious about yourself Mm -hmm. and what matters. Absolutely. And I know I I like too with the lazy, I think we connect lazy so negatively, right? If someone calls you lazy, you call yourself lazy. 
But what I'm hearing too is that you're, it's really giving yourself grace. Yes. Yes. And there is, um, kindness. there are in my, in my book, the lazy genius way, there are 13 principles mm-hmm. that you can apply singularly in combination with each other to any situation in any season of life. And the final principle in the book is to be kind to mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is that when we have a day that did not go according to plan, when we feel like we are failing at something, when we are, um, in that sort of like self-perpetuating machine of like, this is who I think I am, that if we don't bring grace and kindness into that, then we're just going to stay there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is, that is not a healthy place to be at all um, for us or for the people that we are doing life with. And so you're absolutely right. There has to be, and not has to be in a like prescriptive way, but we are invited into a posture towards our own lives. Like we can give ourselves permission to go, you know what? I didn't get that right. Or maybe this isn't a right or wrong situation in the Mm -hmm. first place. Like Mm -hmm. it just was different today. Today was a harder day than yesterday. It's not good or bad. It's not best or worst. It's like some days are easier than others. Some days are hard, but that doesn't mean that you did it wrong. You know, like there, there doesn't have to be morality to how that, how that goes. And that, that through line of kindness is what sort of keeps um, that perspective alive day after day. Yeah. Um, and the more I have found that the more that I can personally practice that towards myself, the more that I can be in conversation with like a mom at pickup line mm-hmm. at church, whatever, and, mm-hmm. and not model that in a, like in a, I have it together and you don't way, but more like we can, we can invite each other into that. The more that we, exist in that, that kind headspace. We can, we can offer that permission to other people. Mm-hmm. So good. This deeply resonates with me, Kendra. Um, and I think I've spent seasons of my life where I have just told myself that I am a, I'm a messy, chaotic person. That is who I am. And there's no escaping that. Right. So it's, this is an example of this where I've received messages, maybe some data along the way. And now I'm a person who has no skills in the face of mess or clutter or chaos. Like I have no, I have no, I, you know, I'm impotent against these things. And then my life became an actual mess, right? Circumstantially. And so it felt like that was just adding on that I'm a person who just lives in perpetual chaos and I have no way out. And so the lazy genius principle that has meant the most to me, especially in the most recent season of my life is start small because I look at the mess and my first reaction is I need a giant overhaul. I need a whole new way of being a human, of doing my life, of being all that. So and, and also because I didn't have personally the emotional capacity to do anything other than start small. And for someone to say to me, that's a great place to start. You know, and the question I ask myself, it's kind of a follow-on question to start small in my life right now is, Leanna, what is in your hands? What is already in your hands? And it helps me go back to and start small. So I just, first of all, I want to say thank you for that principle. Thank you for including that because it has been a companion to me. And I would just love for you to talk to the mom who is just super overwhelmed right now. And she needs to start small. She doesn't even know what that means. Um, She's tried to start big. And then she just kind of, she kind of comes up against those tropes about herself. 
I'm, you know, I'm a disaster, you know, that, <laughs> that trope. And, um, so just, I don't know, would you talk with her and, and maybe me a little bit too <laughs> about the reminder of the power of starting small, how we do that and why it's important for us to give ourselves permission to do that? Yes. Well, first, thank you for that. Those mm-hmm. kind words. Um, I, my first thing that I would say is to remember that being a disaster and being an outward disaster, a visible disaster to other people, and maybe even inviting people into your disaster, is does not have to be a badge of honor. I think sometimes when we make our disaster public, again, it's that conflation of, of chaos and vulnerability that it's okay for you to want to seek less chaos. That doesn't mean that you're not, um, that doesn't mean that you're trying too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's a very nuanced thing. And so I think in some, it, it's important to say that being a disaster is not a badge of honor, but also being a disaster is not your lot in life either. Mm. You know, like you were saying, it's just, it's, there's something really lovely about, um, knowing what to expect or walking into a room that is calming or knowing what's for dinner, you know, like those are things that are helpful. They're helpful tools, but the distinction here is that they don't make you a valuable person. Uh, knowing what's for dinner does not make you a better mom than someone who doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, like that, mm-hmm. that's so much, that's part, mm-hmm. a huge part of it is that there's no morality to those decisions. It's just some days, you know, and some days you don't. And uh, your experience in those days might feel, like I said before, like easier or harder, but they're not, they're not moral choices. They're not identity choices. They're not mm-hmm. like personhood uh, choices. And so so that's the first thing that I would say. But when you're feeling overwhelmed by all the things, I sort of call this big black trash bag energy. You know, when you get, you walk into a room and you're like, sorry, kids. <laughs> just start, like, it's all going. Just get rid of everything. Yep. because, And I think we do yeah. that, not just with like our kids stuff or our stuff, but we just do that like with um, like stuff in our own heads. Like we just think we have to start all over. That's why we buy 14 planners in a calendar year. Um, that's why we have like charts everywhere. The number of people who have started elaborate chore charts and they lasted four days mm-hmm. because really yep. you're putting too much pressure mm-hmm. onto one singular problem, mm-hmm. which is, which is this. I'm sure that someone can relate to this. You walk into a room and your kids, uh, I talk about this in my book, actually. This is a good example. My house was covered in markers. Like it was just like, there were just markers everywhere. I don't, I didn't understand it. I was like, why are there so many daggum markers everywhere? This is my life. And this is your life. It was just like, I couldn't, and some of them didn't have caps. Uh, they didn't have contain. It was just like, Markers in the bathroom. Like I didn't understand. And um, and what I started to do was think, my kids need to learn responsibility. We are going to have elaborate chore charts. I am going to reorganize every closet because the marker problem is leading to the paper problem, which leads <laughs> to the toilet paper problem. It's just we just make everything so enormous. And so what I would say, um, Side note, there is a man outside my office window um, <laughs> reinstalling a gutter right now. Mm-hmm. Just seeing. Sure. Nice. sure. So, oh, he's got a drill in his hand. Oh, you guys, 
I didn't know this was happening today. Um, That's great. Okay. So y'all just let me know. We just can, you know, cut this thing. But if it gets too crazy, we can just pause. But this well, is we can invite him in. It's real life. We can ask him some questions too if it starts getting real too. Bring him in. You know, personal, Bring him so. in. Yeah. How do you okay. reattach a gutter? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lazy yeah. genius yeah. sort of way. Yeah. He's drilling now. He's drilling now. Did you hear that? No, we no, can't hear it. I can't hear maybe it. It's gonna, maybe it'll be okay. But just let me know if you can hear it. Okay. Okay. Um, so. To the to the mom who's feeling that big black trash bag energy in any sort of in any sort of place, I would like to first tell you that in the history of mankind, has that energy ever carried anyone through to a completion that they were happy with? Like never ever do you like dump everything in the big black trash bag metaphorically or tangibly. And you're like, Oh, this, this worked great. Now we have like these systems that are work. Like it never works. Whenever we build a big machine, it doesn't work. It just doesn't. That is why starting small is so, so important. Now here's, here's the thing about starting small. It's embarrassing. It doesn't (laughs) feel like it's working. Mm -hmm. It's counterintuitive. It feels counterproductive because you want to see progress. Mm -hmm. You want to see a tangible, quantifiable, Proof. You want to see proof that you're doing it right. You want to see proof that you're a good whatever, fill in the blank. And so if you start small, you don't see that proof enough, quickly enough. And you're like, well, this isn't working. And so you pivot and you build a bigger machine. And then you just perpetuate the cycle of feeling like a failure. It's really fun. So um, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is Not from someone bit. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is about a friend. We're talking about yeah. a friend. Sure, sure. So all of that to say, as stupid as small steps feel, I mean, they do. They're annoying. Anytime I talk about starting small in my lazy genius space, I'm like, I know you guys hate me right now. I know everybody's rolling their eyes. It's so annoying. It's like the worst advice ever. And yet it is... In my experience, and in the words of people who are like professional therapists, starting small. Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. There it is. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Starting small is the only way to actually move forward. It's the only way. Mm-hmm. It's truly the only way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels embarrassing with how small it is, but it's better than not moving at all. Right. It's like that. It's like that one downward dog that yeah. you talk about that that might lead into five. But I yes. like that they're connected too, because starting small could easily be connected with build the right routines. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, absolutely, right. absolutely, and realistic. That's the thing is that we are living in an irrational world in our own minds about how our life is supposed to look. Mm-hmm. There is this like expectation that we have of ourselves that everything is supposed to be ordered and optimized at, at all costs at all times. Mm-hmm. And it's that visibility. It's that, that, um, perception that other people have of us that we're doing it right because we're so desperately afraid that we're doing sure. it wrong. Sure. And so if we don't appear like we're doing it right, then we need to work harder to appear that we are. And, or we just swing to the other side where we're like, up, oh, forget it. I can't do anything right come into my, my world of chaos. Can you hear that? Mm-mm. Good. Okay, good. I was just like, let me just wait just in case. Cause it's, oh. there we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. I just, can we just have a moment yeah. for the irony of life sometimes? So great. The gutters, that, the gutters, <laughs> gutters of like life. Just, 
Well, uh, number eight is let people in. So let's let them in. And um, <laughs> well, you know. did you have a gutter situation? Like, is yeah. this in response to gutters overflowing? Yeah. Like, what's the gutter? What's the gutter story? We can find the metaphor here. Yeah, yeah. We can find the metaphor. Um, oh, that's so good. So, yes, I share the story in the book that I wanted to do yoga. I, I, it's very good for me. I say that I have a caffeinated squirrel brain. I do not slow down on the inside. I'm just like all the time, high speed. (laughs) And so I need something. I also have the hips of a 70 year old woman. That is not a joke. That's what a doctor told me when I was 19 years old. So I have to do things to, I know it's, it's not great guys. Um, I have to do things to slow down my body on purpose. If Mm. I don't, I will spin out. I will. Mm. I, my, my family sees it coming. My husband is like, do you need to, do you need to go for a walk? Would you like to go for a walk? <laughs> I just get very, I'm a very intense person. And, um, and so yoga was something that really mattered to me. And I became very frustrated because I couldn't seem to work it into my life. I couldn't find a yoga routine. Like you were saying, it's like, Starting small really is connected to our routines and we often will build routines too big. And what I started with where I began was I'm going to do 20 minutes of yoga three days a week. Now that's not like ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but if you're don't do it at all and that's your starting place, it's not going to work. And I thought my problem was I didn't have the right app. I didn't have the right pants. I didn't have the right (laughs) mat. I didn't have the right, Right, like, I would change story of my life. I would change my daggum alarm sound to be like, maybe I need one that's like more peaceful to wake me up. So I'll actually get out of bed. Like I was, I was trying to fix the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I realized like, oh, it's just too big, it's just too big. What if I did, what if I did one down dog a day? That was it. That was one. (laughs) And you guys, it is just, there's nothing easier than just bending over and making your body a triangle and then standing up again. Like it's comical. It's comical how small that is. But I have done yoga every day, even if it's just one pose, but usually it's not, but it started with one, but I have done yoga every day for the last four years. Mm -hmm. And it started with that. It started with that. I did one down dog for probably three weeks before I did anything else because I was almost, it was like, it was like baby deer legs. I was like, I don't want to mess this up and I don't want to add too much too soon because that's my way. And so I'm just going to keep doing what I committed to do. I'm just going to do this one down dog. And that that small start has led to actual growth and being a person who I would say, I do yoga every day. Yes, I do. Do I sweat every day? No. Do I do it for 20 minutes every day? zero percent. It's usually like three. It's a two to three max, but it's better than nothing. And I can feel a difference in my body. I can feel a difference in my mind. It's a rhythm. It's a routine that I have grown to depend on in a good, healthy way, in a way that I really, really love that matters to me. But I never would have hit it. I never would have done it. I never would have gone four years if I hadn't started embarrassingly small. Mm -hmm. That's so great. Whenever I look at the principles, I see go in the right order. Now, to preface that, I see a lot of things that we already try to do. We just do really poorly, like set house rules and, um, you know, even starting small. But I'm curious, for me, the right order is very important. 
in the way that you do things. Because if you don't start on the right path, you're not going to get to the right destination kind of thing. So I'm curious, can you explain what the right order means? Because I can assume that that would mean very different things for different people. But also, what, what does the right order mean for you? What, is, what does that look like for you? Just so that our listeners can kind of get a framework for maybe what this looks like on, on a day-to-day basis. Yes. So there are some very practical things that are, uh, there are some very practical ways to go in the right order, how to make soup, how to clean your kitchen, how to clean your bathroom. Like I, that's why I have a podcast that sort of is like, Hey, you guys, I know you think I'm crazy, but like, I promise if you clean this before you clean this, the whole thing is going to go better for you. If you dust your bathroom before you spray cleaner on it, if you dust your sinks before you spray it, you're you're going to sing my praises. You're going to want to send me a pie. The DMs that I get about people who are like, how did you figure out the order to clean your kitchen? I'm like, I know. You're welcome. Thank you so much for this pie. So I, I, there are very practical right orders for things. But for there is a singular right order that really kind of applies to everybody. And that is it's three things. Number one, name what matters. If you do not start with what matters to you in that moment, not forever, not like it has to be written on your family crest, but what hap- what matters right now to you? If you don't name that, you're absolutely right, Matt. You're not going to go, you're not going to start on the right path. You're starting from a place that's going to lead you. It, it's, there's no, there's, it's not going to last because it doesn't matter to you. So you have to name what matters about something in that moment. Number two, calm the crazy. I think this is very true in uh, life with children because children by nature create a lot of craziness. Mm -hmm. And then at least for me personally, as a parent who is a bit of a control freak and uh, a recovering perfectionist, I do like to optimize things. Like I use principles every single day so that I don't turn into a robot. Um, Those things like make me crazy. Being a parent makes me crazy because of my own, my own issues. So the second part is to calm the crazy. And then the third step is to trust yourself with what comes next. Mm -hmm. So going back to the marker story from earlier, assuming it doesn't get edited out of the episode. If it did, I'm so sorry, guys, then it's not going to make a lot of sense. (laughs) But my house was covered in markers. And I was like, okay, rather than building a big machine, I need to start small. But I also don't really know where to begin. Sometimes that happens. Like we know we need to start small, but we don't know what that start is, right? And that's why going in the right order matters. So I'm like, okay, what matters right now? What matters most about this? And it was two things. It was, I really want my kids to feel like they can create when they want to. That matters to me. You know, like I want my kids to not feel like they have to tiptoe around um, me or the house or whatever in order to draw a picture of SpongeBob or something. Like that's important. So that was one thing. I want it to be, I want them to be free in that. But the second thing is I wanted to not, wanted to not get angry when they did. I wanted to like try to stay calm. And so I was like, okay, so what is making me so upset? What's frustrating me about this? And it was just that the markers were everywhere because they didn't have a singular place to go. Probably part of the problem is we have hundreds of markers, like literally hundreds of them. Yep. And there is no marker caddy big enough to hold all the markers that we have in the Adachi household. And so I was like, okay, I got to calm the crazy here. I've got to calm the excess markers. So I'm going to 
sit here right now with my kids. We all did it together. Let's pull out all the dry ones. Let's we just pull out a big piece of paper. Okay, guys, if it's dry, let's throw it away. We had a trash can right there. Just dump them in the trash can. And if it's not, I've got the a basket that literally could hold like quintuplets. It is an enormous <laughs> basket. And I was like, this is our marker basket, guys. This is the marker basket. And it's still, I mean, it's so enormous and it's still our marker basket. And that way, markers are not all over the house. They just exist in this one basket. Did I have to reorganize the entire cabinet? I did not. Did I have to create some sort of responsibility chart for my children? No, thank goodness. Uh, I didn't have to do anything except calm the crazy. And because that's really what is perpetuating our desire to overhaul everything mm. is because we feel overwhelmed and crazy and we don't know where to begin. And so we assume that we have to fix everything. And I believe the right order is, no, 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 name what matters about right now, figure out how to calm the crazy. And then once that happens, trust yourself with what comes next. Maybe there is another step. Maybe there is another system that you want to start thinking about putting in place. But actually it might just be like, we're good now. Once the craziness was settled, it's like, I'm actually fine. I think a, I think a really practical way, actually, that this can apply to anybody. I think we all have an area in our home, like a physical area, that when it is messy, the whole house feels messy. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's true for everybody. Mm -hmm. Kitchen counter, kitchen table, just the floor. Maybe it's the living room floor. Um, but a great way to start small and a beautiful way to go in the right order is to go, okay, what matters to me is that I don't feel like I'm going to pull out the big black trash bag and throw everyone's prized possessions away because I'm frustrated. <laughs> so the way that I can calm the crazy here is to name the one area, like if I do this one thing, if I clean off this one spot, or even create a system perhaps, a routine around keeping that clean on a regular basis so that the rest of the house does not feel chaotic. Mm -hmm. Like that, that simple practice is its own sustainable s system that is going to impact the life in your whole home. Mm -hmm. And it's just the one spot. It's like when my kitchen counter is clean, I'm actually in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. I feel good about my house when my kitchen counter is clean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So practical. I love it. Okay, Kendra, you have a book coming out this spring that we're all super excited about. So fill us in, give us the details, the insider scoop on your new book. And then I have a follow-up question after you share about it. Lovely. I am so excited about this book. It is called The Lazy Genius Kitchen. It comes out March 22nd of 2022. And I have been looking for this book I've been wanting somebody to write this book for 15 years because I love cookbooks. I have an entire shelf of them. They're in rainbow order. They're over my sink. They're, I love them with my whole heart. Recipes are a delight. Feeding people is one of my favorite things in the whole world. There is more to life in the kitchen than choosing recipes and feeding people meals. There's so much more. There's, you know, there's what tools do you need? Where do you put them? How do you plan? How do you shop? Where do you put things? Like, how, how do you store your food? Like, there are so many, like, systems and things to think about in the comprehensive, complete life of one's kitchen that that teaching doesn't exist in cookbooks. That teaching I have not really seen exist in a lot of homes necessarily because what worked for your parent 
probably isn't going to work for you. But you assume that's just how you live life. An example that I always use is like um, when I grew up, my mom put cereal in like the top cabinet above the fridge because we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money. And, um, and so, and I would eat a half a box of Frosted Flakes in one sitting if given the opportunity. And so she was like, oh no, no, we got to make, we, these are treat cereals and we have to make it so hard for you to get to slash you can't <laughs> like you can't you're cause I'm afraid of heights. And it's like, she's not going to get on a chair to get this. It's not worth it to her that much. So we need to put this above the fridge or whatever. Well, I just assumed that one would store cereal high because that is how I grew up. My kids eat lots of cereal and I would get so annoyed at how often they would ask me to get down a box. And then I went, I can put the boxes in a different place. I don't have to put the boxes up high, even though that's what my mom did. Like, it's just these simple things that we forget. We forget we can like make different decisions, that we can make decisions based on what matters to us in our kitchen. And so this book is not a cookbook. It is a toolkit of how to name what matters mm -hmm. in your kitchen in multiple areas. There is a simple five-step process that you can apply to multiple areas of your kitchen to lazy genius it, to make it work for you, to enjoy it to have what you need, use what you have and enjoy it. And I, it's illustrated. It's so pretty. It's like, I mean, it's, I, I can't even, I hold my face when I'm excited about things. <laughs> and every time I talk about this book, I feel like I just have like pinch marks on my cheeks because of how excited I am because I believe in my marrow that this is a book that will change people's lives. Mm -hmm. I really do. I mean, I talk about Tupperware, but like, we all have it and we all need to think of ways to make it work for us. Oh. So it is not a prescriptive book in the same way that the lazy genius way is not. It is a book of tools. There are a lot of tips for sure because the kitchen is a practical place. And so it's not like a, like a hypothetical, like, I don't know, like Bambi land of like, you're gonna, yay, good job in your kitchen. Like there's a lot of practicality in this. Um, but it is full of, it is full of what I call big sister energy where I'm just like, Hey, all right, guys, let's do this. We can do this together. I'm really, really excited about it. So, uh, that book comes out in March. Lazy, the lazy genius kitchen. Cannot so wait. Awesome. Okay. Give us like your awesome. one practical, one of your favorite tips from it. Hmm. Oh man. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite tips from it. Well, this is more of a, like a permission thing, but I think it's one of the most important things is, uh, the idea of essential tools in your kitchen. Mm. You know, there are a lot of lists out there that are like, these are the must haves for every kitchen. These are the essential tools for every kitchen. I think about that for people who, um, are like filling out like a wedding registry or moving into their first apartment. And they're like, what am I supposed to have? And you Google like, what am I supposed to have in my kitchen? And I would say to you, here's my sentence. A tool is only essential if you use it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So good. Agreed. True. It's Agreed. like a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He put the dr drill down. A tool is only essential if you use it. And so the permission to go, oh, again, it's like my, my mom used a potato masher to mash potatoes. Guess what? In my house, we don't even eat mashed potatoes because two of my kids don't like it. And it's too much work to get what, a, by the way, side note, what weirdos do I have that they're like, no, I don't want 
potatoes mashed with butter and cream and salt. This is a sad life. Thank another. Like it's so sad. It's but I, but the potato masher, I would get so annoyed every time I opened that drawer that had all the like mm-hmm. less used tools mm-hmm. and it would get stuck. Way Again, that crazy. Yeah. Like I would feel the crazy and the, I call it Hulk mom where I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to turn it into the Hulk. Like I would lose my mind. And, um, and I realized like, oh, it's the potato masher that I never use because we don't make mashed potatoes. I don't need this. Even though this is essential for a lot of people, it's not for me. I'm going to get rid of it. Like best decision ever. So a tool is only essential if you use it. And I think that that alone could be like a transformative uh, piece of permission in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like get rid of stuff that you don't use. Yeah. Yeah. There's nine things I need to get rid of right now. Or I just have, (laughs) I have three or four of each essential tool because (laughs) even though I run the dishwasher every night, for some reason, I'm like, I might need this three times in one day. Right. Like I need three. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's true. I'm pre-ordering as we speak. Right. I feel like oh, yes. wedding. I need this book. Yeah. Right. right. That's that how I feel. Christmas right. mm-hmm. Okay, Kendra, our last favorite question to ask all of our guests is, what is motherhood teaching you right now? Why does that question make me want to cry? Um, motherhood's been hard mm-hmm. recently. Um, mm-hmm. My oldest has started middle school. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but middle school sucks. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and he's been getting he's been getting picked on, and it just like it is it is a um, I have not quite experienced the like tearing apart of my soul that is mm-hmm. knowing that my kid is not accepted for who he is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and it's just been heartbreaking, and. And so I think the thing that motherhood right now is teaching me is that it is a, it is a privilege to be my kid's mom. Mm. I mean, it's just a privilege. And even though other people don't see that, even though, um, even though it's really hard work, I, I love them so much. It like breaks me in half. And I know that's true of all parents. Like that's not a new thing, but I think there's something really transformative for me in experiencing the kind of love I have for my kids, especially in times of difficulty and trial and rejection, Mm -hmm. experiencing the, the in my marrow love that I have for them and acceptance I have from them for them. And then knowing that that's how God feels about me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a, I don't think that's a lesson that I can ever, I, I never want to stop learning that. I never mm-hmm. want to stop experiencing that. Um, but I've been experiencing it in a, in a new way, in a different way in recent weeks. And, um, which I'm grateful for. I, I don't want it to sound like, and I know that, I know that y'all aren't thinking that I don't want it to sound like, I'm so glad that my kid is being bullied so that I can experience the love of God, the father. <laughs> like, that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I'm so grateful that there is redemption and presence in hard times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what motherhood is teaching me right now. <laughs> so oh, good, beautiful. Well, it has been such a gift to get to spend some time with you this morning. Thank you so much. Oh, it's all been that my pleasure. It. My pleasure. And um, I'm excited to hear how the gutters turn out. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey friends, thank you for joining us for Moms Unscripted, a production of Mops International. A quick reminder that opinions discussed are solely the opinions of the individuals and do not necessarily represent the organization. For more information on today's episode, please visit mops.org backslash moms unscripted podcast for show notes. And join us again next week for another unscripted conversation around the Mops table.